0: Oh, I'm so I'm so mad at myself. We missed out on a cold open. Nah, now nah, you have to go do whatever you prepared. It's probably going to be shit. Uh, <laughs> I, ge- I genuinely didn't have that really written down for a cold open for this one. But we could talk about Mexico. Yeah. You're all skinny was, and jaundice-like now. Yeah. Did you ever tell you? You told me. Oh, I told you. Oh, did I tell Oh, so- sorry. The last few days have been a blur because I was so sick. You got brain damage too, probably. I got, yeah. I probably, I, I, no, no doubt. It. I was so dehydrated. My jaw locked up. Ah! Um. Yeah, seriously, that happened. I didn't even know that was a thing that could happen. I didn't
1: know that was a thing uh, that could happen. Locked up yeah, near Locked up. up, open or locked up closed? Closed. Yeah, that'd be better. Yeah. <laughs> of, the, of the two ways for that to happen. It's like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Help me. Kate's just like cleaning spittle off your jaw. <laughs>
0: I think he's you? What else did I tell you?
1: Did I tell you the bum part? Um... You told me that you got really sick. You had to miss the flight, and uh, yeah. a doctor had to come to you, to your hotel. That's it. Yeah, the ho- the hotel called
0: the doctor because they said it was the worst they had ever seen. And but like, on it, what gauge? Pretty, like just by looking at you. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. What, I think just general. What color were just, you? Um, like probably the whitest person. I, I'm already very, very white. Yeah, true. Yeah. I probably became translucent or something, Casper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, they had to call the doctor out and the doctor um, in an attempt to try and get me well enough for my flight our new flight the next day administered injected antibiotics instead of like oral ones oh wow yeah and so he sits and the first morning he sits down with this giant needle and I'm mm. out of it I don't know what's going on I, I sit up bleary eyed and I just lift up the sleeve of my t-shirt presenting my arm and he just shakes he has no English is the other thing and he just shakes his head and does like a rotation sign with his fingers and I went oh okay and I gave him the other arm and then he he took his finger and he made like l- laid it horizontally and then, then did the rotation sign and Kate had to lean in and go I think he means your bum dear <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you communicate your bum <laughs> yeah. across the language and the, barrier. <laughs> and so he administered this massive needle into my bum. Mm. And then the next day he had to come the he had to come the next morning to administer the
1: next injection. Let's go into details like, here and there. Are we talking like bum cheek or bum cheek? Okay, not not inside. No,
0: it's it's actually very um, pertinent to the story that it was a cheek. Okay. So uh because it comes the next day and I'm like, I'm ready for it now. I'm slightly less um disorientated and I feel a little bit better. The shot so shot, soon, the bum worked. Yeah, so he comes in, I'm like, I'm ready for you, doc. And I, like, pull down, I'm lying down, and I pull down the cheek, the boxers, my boxers on the other cheek. You turn around, not the and cheek. you smile, and you wiggle your eyebrows. Hello. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, so yeah, not on the cheek he administered the, the, the previous day, but on the other, the fresh, fresh virgin cheek. And I present it to him, and he swabs it down with the alcohol, cotton thing, and he, but goes with his needle and he goes uh, same cheek question mark and I was like oh shit he needs it to be the same cheek as yesterday and I flip over pull down the other part of my boxer and present to him the cheek from before the prior cheek the aforementioned cheek and he swabs that again then sees clearly the needle mark from the day before I goes, oh, no, 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 same cheek. So I had misunderstood him. And the first time he said same cheek, he was just confirming that it wasn't, in fact, the same cheek. So I had to flip back over again and present the first cheek. So just me flipping back and forth, just flashing this doctor, different parts of my bum. Why didn't you just pull down and expose the whole bum? Why were you being so... Because I was trying to be classy about it, Steve. You were
1: getting an injection in your ass while... Because you were shitting yourself so much, your jaw locked up. How can... There's
0: no classiness about this. Steve... The true mark of a gentleman is not to be a gentleman in times of, you know, ease. It's to be a gentleman in times of strife. Mm. I, um, I don't... And it didn't help by the fact that he was like the most handsome doctor on the planet. Yeah. He looked like something from a, like a Mexican daytime soap opera uh, type, type doctor. No- At least I hope he was
1: a doctor. I never actually asked for any sort of identification. Oh yeah, the, one of the great Simpsons' eyes. Oh, thank you, doctor. Oh, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that sounds like um, a really crappy way to end uh, what, what should have been a lovely holiday.
0: It was a lovely holiday up until that point. The wedding in Ma- Mammy was great. The wedding was great. Mexico, Tulum is fucking beautiful. You yeah. were right. Good good shout on that. Tulum is beautiful. Yeah. I could, we kept calling it Tulum though. Yeah. As if it's like a small little village somewhere in the west of Ireland yeah. <laughs> with like a middling successful Ga team. I was very, very, very conscious of that, making sure I didn't say Tulum. Tulum. Oh him He's a centre back For the Tulum Towers Tulum.
1: <laughs> Rodrigo <laughs> Fernandez Some lad Of the Tulum Towers <laughs> Great people And uh, they're all Mayans as well So like all the Yeah locals. we went
0: to the We went to the Mayan rooms. Yeah. It was And we actually One of our taxi drivers Spoke Mayan Yeah and he was, and it's a very different language to, to, to Spanish, so. Well, yeah. Yeah, it causes crazy different dialects in between that when they mix. It's really interesting.
1: They do, they do like all sorts of weird, like they're a very different civilization. They count differently. They don't count in, dec- in decimals like us with tens. They like, their history is like backwards or something. The calendar is a back, a countdown or something like that, isn't
0: it? I don't know. Yeah. I There is that whole thing about the calendar ending in 2012.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's all, that's literally all I know. <laughs> but then you see it just resets. They didn't mention that part oh okay yeah, no it's fine and um, so did you get food poisoning or did you like just get sick I don't
0: know it could have been water it could have been contaminated water it uh, could have been from food we don't, don't know it's kind of hard to pinpoint but despite that the food is excellent isn't it the food is fucking amazing oh my god tacos uh, oh my god so so many tacos guacamole yeah did, it was divine
1: did you know that nachos are tortillas fried yeah I didn't know
0: that before like torti- the tortilla chips
1: yeah, I never
0: put that like together. That's what I'm not that's what like the nacho dish is. The nachos you just have our tortilla chips with like shit on them. I never put that we together. Like just,
1: yeah. Did you mostly get wheat or corn tortillas? Uh, corn. Yeah, the authentic one. It's not as yeah. nice though. <laughs> I, I like it. I really like corn yeah. tortillas. Uh, you're a yeah. you're man of the people. That's it.
0: Except when I'm deathly ill. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's stop talking about that. It's really off-putting. Uh, will we do our what is, what I'm? Yeah, sure. Um, I, it's your turn. I think it's yeah, it's my turn. I think I got a pretty good one. Okay, um, so I was listening to this episode. Um, it's just you, well, it's, and I was it's just not just me. editing. Well, so it's, yeah, it's you and a guest, but I wasn't present for it because again, I was sick in Mexico at the time. But listening to it while I was editing got me very nostalgic Aww. about Ireland. Aww. And so, uh, this what is what I'm, where we explain kind of what the basic premise of the show is. I've reached into Irish folklore. So, Steve, are you familiar with the story of the Salmon of Knowledge? Yeah for listeners who aren't familiar.
1: They used to um, to teach this as history in primary school.
0: They fucking did. They just dressed it up as as Irish history. It's just basically fairy tales for children. Yeah, it's like in the future, they teach the Marvel movies as history. (laughs) Oh God, that'd be great. (laughs) Go on. So Captain America was the first Avenger. Anyway. (laughs) He was. um, He was, yeah. So anyway, Salmon of Knowledge. It's a story in Irish folklore about a salmon who has all of the world's knowledge in it. And anyone who eats that salmon would then acquire all of the world's knowledge. And there's a chap called, like, Finnegas or something, uh, who spent, like, his life looking for it. Fishing. Eventually caught. Yeah, he's, like, fishing Not for a it, life. trying to get out. No, it's pretty, pretty chill. Pretty chill. Um, yeah, he eventually caught it. Uh, I think his assistant at the time was a young Fionn McCool, who is big, big fellow in, in Irish folklore. Really cool. The, the fi- Finnegas, or whatever his name was, said, look, Fionn you cook this, I'm going to go. And I don't know what he went off to do, probably just psych himself up for being the smartest bastard on the panel. Mm. But he left Fionn in charge of the fish. Fionn's cooking the fish, he goes to poke it to see if it's ready, burns his finger, obviously, because it's a hot fish over fire, and sticks it in his mouth. Um, But unfortunately, that seemed to qualify as tasting of the fish and Fionn got all of the world's knowledge at that type. And it only works once. It only works once, yeah. so yeah. So then Phineas couldn't eat the fishing elder yeah, So he had like he um, had like
1: his, his salmon taco and he's like, what the fuck, man? I don't feel any smarter at this. In fact, I feel a little bit sick.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh no.
1: Get the doctor. <laughs> None. Um, the other cheek. You would know
0: that if you tasted the salmon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and then so, so Phil McCool ended up being like the smartest man on the planet and went off to inform a lot of his further adventures in Irish folklore. But imagine, if you will, that in that same river. Next to the Salmon of Knowledge, there was another fish called the Trout of Adequate Understanding. Is
1: this a cousin of that, the Trout of No Crack from Rubber Bandit's fame?
0: Yes, exactly. So so what I'm politics, it's less so the Salmon of Knowledge and more so the Trout of Understanding. And if you're to eat of the Trout of, of Adequate Understanding, you kind of get a pretty good idea of what the, the subject in question is. <laughs> you're a pretty, pretty good idea. You're not an expert in it by any means. Yeah. yeah that's, but you kind of know. That's a good summary, I guess. Yeah. So that's what we are. We are the we are the trout of adequate understanding of Irish folk.
1: But I don't eat fish, so that means I don't get any of it.
0: No, you don't get any. I'm you sure. don't get any. I'm sure there's like a, a chicken of <laughs> pretty good comprehension as well. There's somewhere that you can catch. I just got an image of this chicken walking around going,
1: bah, bah, I know thanks,
0: <laughs> but only some things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Parliamentary procedure, buck Very
0: good. Uh so that's that. Uh, We're not going to do news this week because we got a pretty full interview and we don't want to run too late. Mm -hmm. And there's like also an awful lot of shit happening right now. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do is next week we're going to do a mini-sode. That's just like a news update. Yeah, it probably won't even be that mini because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, so we're just releasing that. Yeah, we're just releasing a news-centric episode next week. Yeah. We'll we'll talk all about that shit. But that's not what we're here for today. We're here to to listen to the interview you did with Naomi. I did. I I talked to Naomi O'Leary of
1: uh, Irish Passport, another podcast that is... Mm -hmm probably the conger of ex- extended knowledge <laughs> if to, to follow this this see this sea, or or the or the seafood chowder of deep knowledge
0: yeah it's not a very elastic
1: metaphor no it's, uh, no <laughs> okay so they her and tim um mm-hmm. Started a podcast a couple of years ago called the Irish Passport, where their aim is to educate people on the history and politics of Ireland.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of um, ignorance. Yeah, we talk ar- ar- around like around, like, especially because you're such a we're su- we're such an international community. We're all over the place, mm-hmm. but there still seems to be big gaping holes a lot of the time in the understanding of how Ireland works as a country, both politically and socially.
1: Me and Naomi talk about that pretty earlier on, especially about her being a Brit basher, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Love, and um, that. that's one way of approaching an interview is to open up with, a, with
0: calling the guest
1: a Brit Bash. So, but also uh, I didn't make the point in it, but I thought about it afterwards. It's kind of Ireland's own fault. We, we spend a lot of time playing up the Guinness drinking and the greenness, and we don't really talk too much about our more complex histories. So that's why. Naomi and Tim have taken up that charge and it's a great podcast yeah. but before you go and subscribe to her podcast you should listen to this episode first
0: yeah it's a good, it's a good one I just, I just finished editing it and it's very good mm. uh, it's just again it's just half of both podcasts so Tim's not there and I'm not there it's just Steve and Naomi Tim and I were off doing our own podcast separately damn right? <laughs> where we, we review uh, different flavours of, of Pringles oh yeah what was the best? Uh, smoky barbecue. I didn't even
1: know that was one. I can't wait to listen to that. I know, right?
0: That's that's what that's why you need this podcast.
1: Yeah, I, I'm so glad that that's what you did with a professional academic, like of Irish and British history, based in a university in Paris. That you were like eat these Pringles.
0: Yeah, but he's also a fiend for the Pringles. So, uh, well,
1: you see, once you pop, you can't that. stop. That's
0: the problem. He's he's a he's an addict. It's, <laughs> it's actually very tragic.
1: We have an intervention halfway through. Me and Naomi come in. <laughs> <laughs> Richie, get those crumbs off your face. You're a disgrace. Anyway, let's listen to the interview. You're not going to hear that, but you are going to hear this. Um, I should give a caveat to the listeners that there is currently a Labrador puppy chewing on an antler in the room because that sound is less distracting, I think, than him howling outside the room. So unfortunately, we have a production assistant who isn't being very helpful in yeah. our recording studio. But I'm here with Naomi. Welcome.
2: Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Steve.
1: <laughs> no problem. You are back in the uh, fair land of Ireland to enjoy our beautiful weather this I mean, week.
2: None other than uh, gorgeous Harmon's town Indeed. on a fine, um, rainy, wet, grey and miserable, apparently summer morning.
1: I had to turn on the heating this morning and um, I don't think I've had to do that in an awful long time. And it's the middle of June.
2: It's taking the best for you, isn't it, it to is. To be honest.
1: Someone pointed out that this is a sign of climate change because the weather is really bad around the time of the Leaving Cert exams. Whereas it's, this is supposed to be when it's supposed to be the best.
2: I know, it's like the one time a year you yeah. can be guaranteed some sunshine, but so not this year.
1: never mind any of the UN statistics, this is evidence that things are changing. <laughs> I now believe it. Unheard of. <laughs> so, uh, Naomi, you are a journalist, uh, correspondent with Politico, among many other things in your From past. For my
2: sins. Yeah.
1: And you are also, more importantly for our purposes, co-host of the Irish Passport podcast.
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah, myself and Tim McInerney, we make a show about Irish culture, history and politics. So yeah, check it out, theirishpassport.com.
1: What was it that um, sparked you guys into thinking about doing that?
2: Um, at the time when the I, I first started thinking about doing this, I was actually living in the UK. I was working as a correspondent for a news agency called AFP. And it was, I covered the build up to the Brexit referendum and the vote and all that kind of stuff. And around that time, there was a large increase in applications for Irish passports. And I noticed that when, and it included people I knew, friends of mine and stuff, in England and I noticed that when people did that and they went to like start the application it often involved a process of kind of rediscovering their roots because it would require contacting older people in their family trying to get wedding certificates and birth certificates and all that kind of stuff together and also people had a sense of responsibility like if I'm if I'm claiming my Irish heritage, I want to know what that means. I want to kind of understand more about the country, which was a which was a lovely thing. And I kind of um, I had a lot of people asking me about it. So I thought, wouldn't there be great if there was some kind of service or something that could kind of welcome these people and be a bit of like of a crash course, you know, to Ireland? And then at the same time as well, like um, it suddenly became really important that the level of ignorance that there is about Ireland, like the fact that no one knew really about the border or its its significance and how Brexit would affect that. And, you know, we saw that that was going to be a huge problem and we were like, we have to do something about this. Like, we need an Irish voice to explain exactly what the border is, what Ireland is, and, you know, that we're not we're not going to leave along with the UK. We're a completely different country. We have a different relationship with Europe. This is who we are. So we wanted to have that voice. Um, so it, the germination came from that, And uh, it's actually grown into something much more now. So it's kind of, it's very much more than like a kind of a crash course to Ireland because, of course, we have a ton of Irish listeners as well as people from all around the world. So it's like, um, yeah, it's uh, kind of current affairs, but current affairs in the context of the history that explains them. Yeah,
1: Um, It's it's funny you mentioned actually the passport as well. One of our first guests was uh, Lena Norms, YouTuber. She told us when she was doing that, I think she was on about two and a half years ago now, that her mother was Irish, so she was desperately, frantically trying to get an Irish passport to to deal with them having a a red covered passport whenever Britain eventually do leave. and Back then, we thought that was going to be very soon. Turns out not so much. And she has actually... Approached the topic a lot more um, thoughtfully than most other um, British people may have. So she actually interviewed us as well about like, what is it being an Irish person and all that and like, how is the Brexit thing affecting you? It drives me bananas sometimes when you hear these British people making these uh, like crazy statements about things, like not even realising that a large chunk of the island of Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. Not even realising like, do you remember that famous Channel 4 video where they asked people to draw the border on the, the blank map of Ireland? Yeah. Some of them were just like straight down the middle and stuff like that. They just have no. Ocean.
2: Yeah, it's, I guess it's not that much of a surprise to most people who've lived in the UK for a while because we all kind of have these anecdotes. But it is suddenly, it, you know, it's not funny when it's something that can have such serious consequences mm. for us um, and for people's lives. That's so,
1: true. And I mean... I am going to follow this up by making a joke as well. But before you came on, we were talking about how unfortunately you've kind of pigeonholed yourself into being a bit of a. I was. I would say Brit basher, but I guess you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that as, as strongly because obviously that's got very negative connotations. I'm, I'm
2: starting to become quite self conscious. I would say because like over the weekend, okay, so I started off tweeting about like the famine. You know, the bones of these children were found on a, a beach in Canada, and it turns out that they were people who had been evicted from Lord Palmerston's. Uh, Promised in the state in Sligo. Yes, people That's will the, know
1: him as Barney Grumble's favourite Prime Minister from The Simpsons. Yeah,
2: right, so he's two-time Prime Minister, Leader of the Opposition, general, like, many-time Minister, like, very much an uh, important establishment figure in the UK during that period. And so it was like... Uh, I don't know, it was just this very sad story, but it was like a reminder of this the long history that our and sad history that our countries have together. So I kind of tweeted that um, story and a, a couple of follow-ups like explaining the famine and that kind of thing. <laughs> and then the next day then Boris Johnson um, oh. hung up on a phone call because the person who was trying to connect him to Donald Trump had an Irish accent. And I was like, that, you know, there are Irish accents from within the UK and there's nothing wrong with someone in Downing Street having an Irish accent.
1: They could be from Um, down. (laughs) Right.
2: So it's just a really bad sign um, that you, you just assume someone is joking or not serious if they're speaking to you in an Irish accent. And it's something that kind of like it was like you might say triggering for like my experiences that I've had sometimes in the UK so then I was you know I was going on about that it's not funny you know and then I was kind of I was looking at my Twitter feed and I was like oh my god like how am I coming across it's like this I just sit in a room and obsess like about like (laughs) what the Brits are up to and
1: just like criticise
2: them and it's been this constant theme over the last two years but it's 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 I'm not always like this I'm like I don't have any kind of vendetta it's just that these things are being stirred up because of Brexit because of everything
1: Naomi did make it very clear, just like Jerry Adams, she's never been a member of the IRA. <laughs> and I believe her, so everyone else should as well. Um, we'll move quickly on to, I, I thought for this, the topic of this um, conversation we would be very literal, and since you're um, show was called Irish Passport. We would just talk about passports in general.
2: And it would so, turn out to be fascinating things to learn about. about yeah. yeah, I
1: mean, I thought it was going to be like a little anecdotal chat just about um, this and that and that and this. And then I went into it and I was like, holy crap, these are complicated legal pieces of documents yeah. with lots of different connotations to them.
2: But also, like, very contingent. Like, mm. they actually haven't been around for a very long time. No. And so they're very much a product of the modern world. Yes. Yeah. And
1: they have changed along with the modern world. So, yeah. at the very basic level, we both have our passports in our hands. We brought them. Yeah. We brought them. Um, Ours are the same they they have the is this burgundy would you call it burgundy yes i would say that's it a... yeah yeah it is an irish passport with era and ireland on it so actually the first thing that comes to mind is it doesn't say republic of ireland because that's not the name of our country mhm which is very confusing because it often is
2: well it's a tricky one but yeah i mean it's the football team is called that's the republic what it is, of ireland. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah but you it can it's sometimes used interchangeably but yeah, n- Names for Ireland is a whole other level of thing that people get annoyed about. <laughs>
1: and what about when UK people especially re- reference era uh, when they talk that about Ireland? That is
2: a fascinating one. Like it just, from what I've observed, it tends to be a kind of an older generation and it's often people who are pro-Brexit or whatever. To me, it's like, it's a subtle neg in that it's like, <laughs> it's referring to like...
1: We're getting uh, negged by yeah, Lord whatever.
2: <laughs> it's, it's like referring to a time when Ireland wasn't yet... Uh, was still trying to become fully independent, you know, was trying to get out of the Commonwealth and being in, an independent. So it's just the contingent name that that Britain had for us during that period. So it kind of has these connotations of not really taking us seriously as a nation. Um, but I, I don't know. Some people don't mind it because, after all, you know, it is the Irish word. Maybe it's not so bad that they're using it. But I, f- I feel it's it's a strange one. It's a I puzzling it. one.
1: Because when you're talking about Germany, you don't say Deutschland. No. So when you're talking about Ireland in the English language why do you suddenly switch to speaking a different language? I don't know. It also bugs me as well and this is a particular bugbear that does, doesn't really mean anything but when people say Gaelic instead of Irish how yeah. oh, do you speak Gaelic? Well no yeah. because I'm not from Scotland and also I speak Irish because we're speaking English and that's the name of the re- language yep. and if you want to say yeah. it in Irish it's Gaelic.
2: <laughs> I sometimes use it secondarily to clarify what I'm talking about especially if I'm talking to people say from the continent I'm like oh yeah well you know then we study Irish and they're sort of a uh, little puzzled frown comes over their face and I'm like you know the Gaelic language and it's more to emphasise that it's not a dialect of English mm. it's uh, a language with a different root but the, like people do tend to recognise Gaelic as referring to a completely different language so
1: okay so i'm wrong on that one i'm just being pedantic no 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 it's anti-Brit. like
2: I'm, all these things are like totally legitimate to be like you know people of are sensitive about so uh,
1: we yeah. have the it's worth pointing out that these are very different to the ones that people had very, when they started and um, i saw some photographs of the ones issued around around world war one it would be very easy to make them and you know make a fake one they're literally just pieces of paper with a, a photo glued onto it and sometimes not even a photo.
2: Okay, so funny story, right? About, well, maybe not that funny, but story about the first Irish passports. Um, so the first ones th- that are thought to have been used were by an um, Irish delegation to the League of Nations in 1923. Mm. And they the gov- government at that time um, said that they wanted to put on the, the passports um, citizen of the Irish Free State. Um, and... Britain had beef with that. They did not like that because it didn't say British subject and Ireland was still technically part of the Commonwealth. So they wanted to uh, say British subject. But even
1: more than that, I suppose part of the agreement was that the Irish state wouldn't have control over its foreign affairs. Was that correct? Yeah. uh, As opposed to like Australia and Canada, when they became independent, they did.
2: Okay. So maybe that's why. yeah, Yeah. We were not fully, you know, it wasn't full independence or whatever. Um, so Ireland came up with this sort of compromise proposal where they would write, I think it was, um, Citizen of the Irish Free State and the British Commonwealth of Nations, some kind of a, a fudge like that, which Britain never actually officially agreed. They still weren't happy. So what happened was when Irish people presented at borders, um, British, custom, British uh, border agents would confiscate their passports often. Um, and this, yeah, this would happen to everyone. So what Irish people who were travelling had to do was apply for British passports and Irish passports and kind of, like, use the both of them and try to avoid them getting confiscated. Um, and it was this huge issue um, between the two governments that, like, uh, the, it went on for decades.
1: Did it go on up until we became a republic in the 50s?
2: There was rows about it. I'm trying to remember now, when was it actually resolved? It was at, it was at that point, though, yeah. yeah. Um And, uh, yeah, so... Jeepers. bad beef there. That yeah. would have
1: been a really pain in the hole. So, as well, like if yeah. you're living in West Coast of Kerry, you had to send off presumably to the British Embassy yeah, in Dublin to try and get your passport. Uh,
2: yeah, no idea. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, of course, I, I... From the, the Healy Rays of, of yore were obviously going on many holidays back then as well. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that's so interesting actually, reading up about the history, like how much the existence of passports now is related to people's ability to travel. Yes. Because like way back in the day, like people just didn't have much of an ability to travel because there weren't like train systems and fast transport and whatever so people couldn't actually go that far that easily it was difficult yeah so there were sorts of travel documents that existed in like olden times like in the ottoman empire they had some form of something and in china they had papers and things like that but like passports really only came into use in world war one with when um because of the war european nations started to police their borders and before that it wasn't really a thing and suddenly it was like okay passports and um then they persisted after that as something that tourists had to use but people were kind of taken aback they were affronted they were like you know why why do I need to be like described in this way it was kind of dehumanizing that was how it was that was how it was perceived
1: so I guess yeah. most of the like concerns before that would have been just oh are you smuggling things can we tax it those kind of things whereas before when World War one came in they were like oh these bodies moving between us like using mass transport as it was developing our potential threats as well
2: I guess well uh, yeah I mean there could have been spies or yeah, I, exactly. I don't know that's yeah. what it would have been yeah. yeah so
1: or like saboteurs or whatever it yeah. is and I guess there would have been like the the, the rise of um, anarchist and, and communist terrorism as well yeah. all the different things that they didn't really have to worry yeah. and Hercules is having a dance as I'm trying to speak yeah he's l-
2: <laughs> a sweet Labrador but restless restless, restless yeah. little guy he, yeah. um,
1: he clearly doesn't like listening to Talks about passports. <laughs> that's just because you can't get one. Actually, he was born in Northern Ireland, so he's entitled to both. We'll get onto that one later. Yeah, um, I have it down that Henry V of England was the first one to get it. And I suppose that's that comes back to, again, that wasn't really a passport. That was just like, a, oh, I recognise that this dude is part of my kingdom. Right. So don't harass him when he travels abroad.
2: That's it. Yeah, it's a kind of a letter to ask people not to hassle them. And yeah. you can see that in the language still, like on our passports, it's like a request so, from the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Trade, um, requests to all whom it may concern to allow the bearer, a citizen of Ireland, to pass freely and without hindrance, and to for- afford the bearer all necessary assistance and protection. So it's kind of like um, it's like a letter of reference yeah, almost, exactly. you know, where they they're like, we certify this person. Can you be, look at them? You I know, mean, not give them hassle.
1: I had to do the interview with Charlie Flanagan for him to give me this as well. I presume you did too to make sure. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, they're cool. I'll vouch them.
2: Yeah. But when you open it, though, it's such a gorgeous design, this new design. And it's so interesting thinking back about how important it was. Like one of the first things that the government did was to to institute passports and say, we're giving it passports. These Irish passports have always been such an important symbol of Irish identity. And what they've done is on the pages, they've kind of compiled all of these national symbols. So you've got the Cliffs of Moher and you've got Croke Patrick and poetry and music as well there's actually musical notation um, people playing GAA and yeah it's just it's really nice it's like a visual that you can tell a lot of care has gone into this to kind of visually represent what yeah. the nation is
1: and obviously there's the Aviva Stadium for sports and then on the page after that there's the Temple Bar at Saturday night at 3am <laughs> so it's definitely it's got all the main aspects of yeah. um, of Irish culture yeah. do you have many stamps on yours?
2: Um, oh yeah that's a nice question uh, let me see
1: they don't, I've, I've they don't really my, do that anymore
2: Let's see now. I've got, I think, Egypt. Yeah. I've no got yet. Egypt, Japan. I was in Japan lately. And oh, cool. um, what's that? Taiwan. And, oh, Panama. Panama. Yeah. So we've got a few. Yeah.
1: I guess Actually, a few. most people when you're doing travel from Colombia. Ireland. Columbia. Oh, yeah. God, you've been very well traveled. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was good with my Brazil and America, but no, that's yeah. brilliant. Um, I got Mexico here somewhere as well, but I can't okay. find it. Yeah. Um, it's really annoying because when you travel inside the the European Union, you don't get a stamp. Yeah. They just want to look at it and then white wave you on. Yeah. Like even um non EU citizens when they travel in the EU, they don't get stamps they either. Don't get a stamp. And they're yeah. really annoyed because they're like, oh, this is like um they see the passport document as like a, a logbook of where they've been, as yeah. like a little souvenir book. Yeah.
2: They want a souvenir. Yeah. Get, yeah. So I
1: guess that's what I it is to that. most people as well. Yeah,
2: I'm fond of the stamps. They're nice. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, one of the questions that I wanted to see is um Which are the best passports and which are the worst passports?
2: And which are they actually? Because I think we have here in Ireland we generally consider the Irish passport to be the best one, right? But um, what what are the the facts? Okay, go on.
1: So I had assumed as well. Like when I say best, I mean which one grants you the most access to countries without the need for a a visa. Yeah. And I like you had assumed that it was going to be Ireland, but it's not. It is actually Japan. They're number one. Japan, Singapore, South Korea all have joint first. And then Should Ireland come
2: South Korea. Okay.
1: doesn't come in until joint six, but it actually, it ranks pretty low because they wow. have them all matched. And the one that really annoys me is that the UK are up ahead of us <laughs> by one, one other country lets UK citizens in without a passport that Ireland does. Okay. Um yeah, so if you look at them all, I guess there's a lot of Asian countries in here. So that's probably like um in between, like uh, agreements between the Asian nations to yeah. allow citizens to travel between them. And then because the top three are the most industrialised and and developed, I guess they're also like, oh, we'll give our citizens rights to travel everywhere else as well. I
2: mean, you can understand with Japan, like, they are both like a really wealthy nation and like the most polite people <laughs> on earth. So like no one's going to turn them away. That. It's like yeah. oh
1: how rude are the people of this country before we let them in?
2: <laughs> but like Japanese are not going to cause you any bother. Like if you if you have Japanese tourists coming to your country, like the worst thing they're going to do is like take a load of photos.
1: Exactly, yeah, <laughs> and they're not even very rude about it when they do it as well. Yeah. They're like very polite and like trying to get out of the way of everybody. Yeah, um, there's other like random little places. San Marino has 169 different places even though it's not even really a country it's a principality <laughs> and look belgium's here too even though that's not really a country so there's all sorts of bits um who do you think is the worst
2: the very worst passport uh in terms of the access that you get yeah i mean i'm gonna guess it's gonna be some unfortunate country in africa is it
1: it is what is it oh it's changed It was Somalia yesterday, but it's been updated in one day.
2: It was Somalia. It
1: was Somalia, but now it's Iraq. What do you know? Poor Iraq. Poor Iraq, They've suffered so much. They really have. Yeah. I guess now I'm looking at the bottom ones are Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Somalia. Oh, Somalia is joint. Okay. Second last. Um, I would presume now looking at these countries, um, these are countries that have Various different problems going on in terms of states' abilities to regulate who is actually there and who can travel.
2: True. So yeah.
1: these are probably, this will be security concerns.
2: Security concerns and also active war zones. Yes. People go there for all sorts of reasons and come out of there for all sorts of reasons. So, yeah.
1: Although it must it must be a kick in the nuts to Iraq and Afghanistan that Syria, which doesn't really count as a country anymore, still ranks one step higher than them. <laughs> God bless them. Um, yeah, I guess this is a large part of it as well. And um, this... Unfortunately, all these countries have brown skinned people. Do you think that plays into a little bit? Do people consider race when they're looking at these different bits?
2: Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, we'd be idiots to say that, like, uh, for some reason, the passport system would be colorblind when nothing else is. And it's also worth noting that um, there's, it's here in Ireland, obviously, we have common travel area with the UK. Um, now, although that exists, it's a little bit ad hoc the way it's actually enforced so I don't know if you've had the experience but generally when I travel between Ireland and the UK I do get my passport checked that's on that's on air air travel when it's um, over land I've never had it happen to me but if you are someone who's got uh, darker skin mm-hmm. or you don't look like um, the stereotype of an Irish person or something like you're not like this white person then um, th- you're much more likely to be checked Um, So there's racial profiling um, in terms of uh, and and so the the common travel area does exist, but it doesn't exist equally for everybody.
1: This is an anecdote that really has no scientific um, way to back it up. But I was lucky enough to be able to travel to the United States a couple of times when I was a teenager with my parents. And my father had very, very dark skin um, for an Irish person. Um, people from countries with darker skin would look at him and go, ah, no, not really. But for everyone else, he's like, oh, yeah, that's a particularly dark skinned man. Okay. So to a certain extent, you could say he looked a little bit like he was from the region where these countries were at the bottom that we're saying. Every single time we went through American airports, he got picked out for a random screening. Whereas none, none of the rest of our family Isn't ever Isn't that would. a
2: coincidence? Isn't
1: it a coincidence? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely is a thing. Um, I've heard this before, even just around like internal travel in the United States. If you have darker skin, you're going to get picked out for security checks on trains, planes and automobiles. Everything. Yeah, of course. So I mean, I've
2: seen it happen. Yeah. I was on a train um, going from Italy uh, to, I think it was Switzerland. Um, and the border guards got on the train, walked down the train, Uh, did like paid no one any mind and just zeroed in on the one black person on the train and was like right up you get I mean it's it was so egregious and obvious I got out of my seat to go actually it made me really angry and I wanted to challenge them and I kind of but I'm actually kind of non confrontational person so it took me a few seconds to kind of decide what I was going to do and like like build up to it, so I walked down the um the aisle of it. My plan was I was going to or insist that they also checked mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> that was a good way, actually. That's um, yeah.
2: So, but uh, I just came on and then they just got off the train, mm. so I missed my moment. And now I'm like, you know, when you have that, like, thing yeah. that you miss your moment and then afterwards you're, like, Everyone trying, always trying to, like, get that resolution. You would so have a slow clap.
1: It would have been like a, you would have done a bow of the top of the carriage. God knows. <laughs> like, well, maybe
2: they would have arrested me to teach me <laughs> a lesson. Like, <laughs> well,
1: to be honest, I was thinking that in my head. I was like, it is a noble thing, but don't mess with security guards. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. But you
1: were right. Like, I mean, it is, it is always the case that these people are just conditioned and trained, like, I don't necessarily think someone goes into an institution like a security border control agency thinking, I'm a racist, I'm going to single out people, but it's just the way that the system is set up for it to happen.
2: I don't know. I don't know enough about it.
1: I mean, think about it. The United States had um, its its travel ban recently and it picked out uh, majority Muslim countries, that decided.
2: Oh yeah, the Muslim ban. That wasn't a Muslim ban. The Muslim ban. Yeah, it was incredibly cynical. Venezuela yeah.
1: and uh, North Korea onto that as well. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's 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 getting more and more prevalent. Um, and I, that was part of why I wanted to pick out this um, this topic as well, is that I have this optimistic notion in my head that when I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, that travel was a lot easier for everybody and that borders were seeming to shrinking mm-hmm. and people could just hop around like they did in the olden days. And you weren't going to have to worry about always going through these visa checks and border checks and security checks. Yeah. But then in my mind, 9-11 happened and all of a sudden the walls were rebuilt. Everyone had to have biometric passports, which your iris fingerprints and God knows what other kind yeah. of security checks they have on you on the system. Even since the 2008 crash and all the populist movements that have come up since then, it just seems to be everyone is digging into their silos and becoming more and more nationalistic where these these little passport documents are only going to get more important.
2: The change, if you, we can feel living through this area yeah. that there's been a change in atmosphere or something like that. But I don't know if we're all, we're going to understand it while we're still living through it. It may only be in retrospect that people can properly come to terms with what exactly is changing. I, I don't know, but uh, it all seems to be happening very, very fast. Um, and in Europe, there's been some uh, very concrete steps backwards from freedom of movement. So um, obviously we're not in Schengen. Um, but uh, the most of the continent is there, so they have uh, passport free travel between them. Although they're all required to carry ID, it should be said that's not the case here. But over in um, in continental Europe, you do have to carry ID. It's just that you're not, uh, you not you you not you don't need it to actually pass a border technically.
1: In Ireland, you're legally obliged to so always carry an ID.
2: Are you really? No. I thought we were absent of that. So no. I stand corrected. Okay, so um, but what's happened is that Schengen has this kind of opt out thing where in ca- in emergencies you can start checking people's passports. I mean, obviously, because say there's like, I don't know, criminals on the loose or something like, yes, of course, they're going to start checking at the border. Um, But what happened was with the migrant crisis um, of um, all of the people that were travelling over land um, and arriving in Europe, some countries just decided to start checking. So Denmark, for example, uh, just erected emergency border controls. And um, so it's kind of Schengen isn't. Functioning exactly as it's supposed to at yeah. the moment, yeah. But I mean, in many places, uh, it's not actually practicable um, to have a, a like a totally sealed border. I mean, like, how are you going to do that around the Netherlands? Like, it, it's down at the bottom of it, it basically blends with Belgium. Yeah, There's yeah. like fields that are Netherlands, fields that are Belgium. Like it's it's uh, it's like it's it's just like the border with Northern Ireland here. I was just about to yeah. say,
1: yeah, that's what it sounds very familiar to. Yeah, but they have closed that before. <laughs>
2: Well, they tried That's and they right. failed. Yeah. So they during the 70s, I think it was a third of the entire British army forces in Northern Ireland were just dedicated to policing the border. And they did it. Um, they, they they pulled out all the stops. Like they actually destroyed the roads. So they had only like a smaller number of roads to man. And they put, uh, you know, they blocked them with boulders or they blew them up. Um, and uh, so they really tried and it was never sealable. It was never actually policeable. So they... they They actually, the Northern Ireland office wrote that um, this uh, people need to understand what policing the border actually means. It means massive uh, inconvenience to the local population and like not making any friends, I guess, with the local population because it's such a huge inconvenience. It's massively expensive. It's massively dangerous. um, And it's not clear that it's actually that effective because since it's not really policeable, the people that you want to be uh, finding and stopping or whatever they're getting through anyway because they just go through backfields and they go from, they use farms which are half in the Republic and half in North Like So um, it's just, it's, it's a futile exercise. That was um, a
1: recommendation about what might happen now.
2: No, that like, was made back in the day. That was even back yeah, then? Yeah, okay. Wow, okay. So, um, but they just ignored that was, it. That's in the 70s. I mean... Um,
1: th- like I grew up, um, my mother was from Donegal so we were always driving between Donegal and Dublin. Yeah. So I have a, a, a very easy memory. I remember exactly where the British Army control point was yeah. going through. But then there wasn't one on the on the Donegal from border, yeah. which was very confusing.
2: What, what was it like going through? Do you remember what it was like?
1: It was scary. Like there were soldiers standing around you with machine guns and they were checking all the different cars, interrogating my father. I don't think he had to have a passport on him necessarily, but maybe a driver's license or something like that. Um, and there were x-ray scanners beaming into the car as, as you were going. And there were like, it was a a physical gate with like um, fencing around it. And then up on a hill behind you, a fortress basically. Um it's now a fireworks sales store, so <laughs> things have changed. But um, classic, yeah, classic Northern but Ireland. But that tells
2: you about the economy, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. that tells you so much about the border. Precisely, because fireworks aren't sold to the public down here in the Republic. So where do you get the fireworks from? I mean, just on the border.
1: And yeah. then equally so, if you're in a petrol station, um, a gas station on, this, on, the, on the on the on the south side of the border, um, they display prices in sterling and Irish and euros because we charge less taxes on petrol.
2: I, there's some subtle differences that I can't quite remember. Not, in it's,
1: well, in practicality, <laughs> yeah. it's a 20% um, cheaper. So that's yeah. why it's yeah. cheaper. So yeah, like, oh, you can't get fireworks in the south. We'll drive 20 minutes north and get them yeah. there. So it, like, it's just a very porous border.
2: The What I am keep trying to explain to people is that the choice isn't to have um, a border which is uh, effective it's either a, an ineffective border that is definitely a smuggler's paradise because it's going to be porous and is possibly violent or an open border those are the two choices that there are likely there violent. isn't there isn't another one where you have like a border that works that doesn't actually that isn't a choice on the table
1: i'd yeah. be quite pessimistic about the prospect of violence coming back as well like you can see what's happening in Derry with car bombs going off and that kind of stuff like it just seems to be that The prospect of having the border control track, like I described, coming back, they're just going to be targets. That's all they'll be. Yeah. So it'd be very silly if they did that. Speaking of Northern Ireland, they have very interesting rules on passports. Mm -hmm. So as part of the Good Friday Agreement, um, the decision was made between the British, Irish and Northern Ireland governments that people living in the north of Ireland could decide if they wanted to be British citizens or Irish citizens. I forgot to check. Did the Irish state recognise people from Northern Ireland anyway and give them?
2: I think Ireland, the Irish state always described Ireland as being the entire island of Ireland.
1: So if you lived in Belfast and you wanted an Irish passport, you probably could get one back then.
2: I believe so, although I have to check that. Um, I'm not actually sure what the practical process was of doing that. But I do know that the Ireland just the the state always claimed that Ireland was the entire island of Ireland and it kind of dropped that territorial claim sure. as part of the Good Friday Agreement and said it's um, kind of accepted that that's not currently the case and that um, it was up to the will of the people where how they wanted to determine their future.
1: Yeah. We talked about constitutions recently and it was actually we had a referendum just after Good Friday to take out the claim in the constitution about the sovereignty of the island of Ireland and I think now we just vaguely pass over it because to be honest, sometimes that's the best way to do with constitutions, deal with it later kind of isms. Um, but at the moment, someone born in Belfast has the option of carrying an Irish passport, a British passport or both.
2: It's interesting to look at Irish law in this case in terms of the European context. Um, so there's basically two models for citizenship, I suppose, and they're called just solus and just sanguinis. We're getting um, the Latin
1: terms in here we're getting legal yeah
2: we're getting legal so just solely or just just solace that is um the it, it means the right of the soil and that comes from um, it originates in British common law and it means it, it's where you're born so if you're if you are born in a particular place, um, that has this uh, laws according to right of the soil, then that is what your gives you the entitlement to be a citizen up there. So that's normal in the Americas. That's the norm there. In Europe, where where we are, just sanguinous is the norm, and that uh, that means right of the blood. Mm. So. It means it it's it's passed on from your parents so um citizenship generally comes through descent and Ireland has quite a strong just sanguinis in in terms of you it, you can pass it down from a grandparent so that's why um you know you can have someone who's um whose grandmother or grandfather emigrated from Ireland and they're you know they're de- their descendant living on Australia or something and they can still potentially claim an Irish passport if they meet the requirements of the citizenship being passed down and everyone having been registered as an Irish citizen when they were born and so on. And I know this because now there's been this increased interest in people having Irish passports. There's been worry now in Ireland. Well, you know, who are all these people? (laughs) How many of them are there? Might there be more of them than there are of us? All these people are like descendants because there's just so many of them, you know, no one actually knows how many. And, you know, kind of like what is this claim Based on you know are they are they as Irish as me because legally it's, it seems like they they can be but the reason why it's like this is because we are an immigrant nation the the one country that's similar to us is Italy so Italy also has very similar laws to Ireland in that you can get it through a grandparent yeah it's 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 literally because we've always from the very conception of the state we've been a nation that has an island but also has a huge diaspora that's been really important in actually the foundation of the state and inter- and also in terms of like us having international clout, having, because we're a tiny, tiny nation. So having, you know, you, so you've seen it like the Irish lobby in Washington yes. and what have you that that's always been really really important for Ireland. So there's been this policy of considering the nation as an international nation.
1: And even specifically though the Northern Ireland one is a bit more interesting because if you are of British descent and born there and you can't prove any su what what is it what's the one of blood?
2: Uh, just sanguineous. Just
1: sanguineous. You can still actually get an Irish passport because we're saying okay, well as part of the peace process. We're going to recognize that people from the other tribe are also recognized as Irish citizens if they want to be. If they want to be,
2: yeah. It's a, it, it, when it comes to Northern Ireland because of the contentious nature of um, what jurisdiction it falls into. It's always been vague. People yeah. have just kept it vague, yeah. And we change. We we had. Um, we actually had both. We had right of the soil as well. If you remember, that was taken out of our constitution in sure. two thousand four. Um, that was unusual. That like no European country has that ask, anymore. So we yeah. were an anomaly In kind of the 2000s. Vote, yeah,
1: was that because we didn't have much of a tradition of immigration?
2: It's possible. Yeah. I actually don't know why it was there in the first place. Um, but we, yeah, we, we
1: need we needed people back then. <laughs> yeah, there was a very empty island after, yeah. um, as you mentioned before, the famine and many other things.
2: So we were taking all we could. <laughs>
1: And then we yeah. changed our mind a little bit and had a referendum and took that away. Yeah. Which um, gets brought up an awful lot now. Uh, I will call them like the um, the lefty liberal grumblers on Twitter. They like to point out whenever people, sometimes whenever we're like, um, people are congratulating ourselves about how progressive and wonderful Ireland is as we go through things like the abortion referendum or the equal marriage thing. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh yeah, but don't forget about 10 years ago, we also voted a pretty racist thing in. Yeah. where we said, oh... Um, if you're born on born on the island of Ireland without Irish descendants, you're not a citizen.
2: You have to be. There's a residency requirement for your parents. That's what it is. Five now. years, I think. Yeah, it is, um. It? So, um.
1: What do you think of that? Just like
2: I, subject, I mean,
1: uh, subjectively,
2: I was quite young when that whole thing happened, and I don't remember it that well. But I remember the debate being somewhat ugly, mm. and there was an idea that um. It was people were manipulating it by deliberately, like pregnant women were deliberately engineering it so that they would be on the territory of Ireland in order to have a child. And I'm not sure how real that was. That that to me sounds like a scary story, like who, who, if anyone was doing that, it must have been a tiny percentage. I, I don't really know. I mean, there is an obvious contrast between how we treat people in terms of if you're if you've been born in Ireland, raised in Ireland, gone to school in Ireland or you only know Ireland as your nation and you have less of a claim to Irish citizenship because of the status of your parents than someone who may never have ever visited um then obviously that is somewhat of a stark mm-hmm. contrast yeah. yeah in terms of how we treat people
1: and not only that but in term, this is more about citizenship than passports necessarily but EU citizens very rarely actually get Irish citizenship when they live in Ireland even for 30 to 40 years because yeah. it's an expensive process it is
2: expensive it's and it's onerous it's yeah. onerous
1: and it also means that then they can't vote on very particular things in the Irish on the on the Irish political system right. which is kind of bollocks to be honest and then equally so that means that their children essentially have to go through the same kind of process whereas if you're the children the child of a Portuguese and a Dutch parents you probably just get one of those passports because it's easier yeah. Um, so
2: it, it it's interesting. Um, and on the question of the link between passports and voting rights, this is really important in Ireland at the moment because potentially we're going to slightly uh, liberalise the law and we're going to allow all Irish citizens, irrespective of where they are located, physically to vote for Irish president, Yeah, um, which is a kind of a token measure because that's not really the problem. The problem is that we have massively restrictive voting laws for everything else. So Ireland is very strange in requiring people not only to be physically present um, in a voting booth, but to be physically present in their local one, which has like, you know, whichever one they've been assigned in their exact town. So it, it disenfranchises students, it disenfranchises young people in general who tend to move around a lot more than older people. Um, we, we're we an immigrating nation so people move abroad all the time. It's very odd to have absolutely no provision for stuff like postal voting because it's it's normal for people not always to be in their exact hometown.
1: I would say it's the classic Irish thing where we pretend that we're all for the things of the diaspora and all about that and we're like oh well we can let everyone have citizenship but at the same time when it comes to working at the practical we just can't be asked so we're like no strict rule you have to cut that off
2: well yeah lots of Irish people are disenfranchised from voting and that because of the nature of modern life is our our, the way that we vote isn't actually built into the realities of modern modern life I'm not sure how deliberate it is it may be some it to me it kind of seems like something that's just been allowed to persist unreformed and unaddressed simply because people haven't faced it head on, like strange, old, anachronistic things do persist in Ireland, sometimes longer than elsewhere. So, for example, we had like loads of Victorian style institutions like Magdalene Laundries for a really long time, which had kind of died out everywhere else. And this voting system of like literally being present in your local, in your like in your townland is, is very old fashioned. And there really is no reason not to have stuff like postal voting. I mean, Like, there's a lot of reason why people can't be physically mobile and it's extremely onerous. There's some very, very, very strict and rare cases cases in which people can vote from abroad. So like diplomatic staff. Soldiers. Yeah, soldiers, people like that. And I think you can, you can apply and say that you, you know, have a disability and, but it's onerous, you know, as anything. Whereas in the
1: UK, I think like one sixth, if not more of citizens just choose to postal vote because it's easier.
2: And in the Netherlands, for example, there's no such thing as registering to vote. Everyone's just on the voting register. You just are. Your vote, your papers get posted to your house um, and then you can vote anywhere. Any polling station, you don't need to go to one specific polling station. It's where the the one that's handy that you pass on the way to work or
1: whatever. Bringing it back quickly to passports and citizenship, it's probably worth giving a shout out to Israel as being an interesting one as well because you can be a citizen of Israel if you're Jewish. So it's not anything to do with nationality or ethnic line. It's a religious caveat.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So
1: I wonder even then, like if you were to convert to Judaism yeah. as an Irish person, you probably would still be entitled to a I passport. Wonder, if you, I'd be
2: interested know. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? Actually, um, yeah, a friend of mine was saying she's considering emigrating to Israel and. Um, they're
1: very strict apart from that. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, she's Jewish. So they're actually, oh, well, you actually you get some money. They give you some money to, when yeah. you come back. You know, they give yeah. you a
1: free holiday to Israel as well if the you're Jewish. Thing. The birthright thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I've heard stories. Yeah, yeah apparently. It's
1: so, like the equivalent of RJ1. <laughs> it's kind of like,
2: uh, to me, like the stories, it's a bit like the Gale talked but there's...
1: Um, More curls. <laughs> my, well, maybe not necessarily. We're pretty curly too. <laughs> um,
2: it sounds just surreal kind of a, an experience. I had some friends from California that went on it and they were telling me, um, so you kind of get put in this group and you've got all these like young soldiers from the IDF around that like kind of are assisting you or like around you when you're doing this trip. And the super casually, like they'll have their rifle like slung over their back or, you know, and be, some of them will be like attractive young women and they'll well, be like in their... Just every, have their rifles hanging around.
1: Yeah, every citizen of Israel has to be a member of the IDF it's two years for women and three years for men Yeah, you don't have a choice
2: yeah so and then they, they also said there was a lot of innuendo and jokes about um, get um people getting into bed with each other and kind of increasing the numbers of the Israel and you know like would they, <laughs> would they all come back and start families and stuff like that and it kind of said because obviously you get any group of young people together and a like put them moms. on a trip they're going to have they're going to have loads of fun guns
1: or not um, <laughs>
2: yeah, guns or not um, but yeah um, at the same time some kind of slightly spooky overtones, I guess, about like, oh, please reproduce, you know. Like, <laughs> honestly,
1: like, guys, we're going like, oh, please ki- reproduce. It's for our nation. Exactly. We need more. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of similar to the Irish vein, is that we we were like, oh well, we desperately needed to make sure we could hang on to these people that had left. Yeah. So obviously, the the the, the saga of the of the Israeli nation is that it's 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 a gathering again of the of the people that had to be sent across the world. So. That's a very good practical way for them to do it. Yeah, obviously, um, nightclubs... Guns and yeah. hormones is the way to spread your nations.
2: Actually, they have been thinking about doing an Irish birthright, Paddy birthright, we can Paddy call bridge. it perhaps. So it's, yeah, it would be like incentivizing diaspora young people to come to Ireland for some sort of like cultural familiarity trip. Do we need come. to do that? Exactly. Is the place not already don't full they, of them? Don't they do that already? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. I've
1: got so many Irish American friends that I met here. <laughs> Very quickly, we talked about the physical passport and obviously it's Burgundy because it is an EU passport. Yeah. The United Kingdom also has a burgundy passport at present. But a large part of what they were talking about during their Brexit talks is that, oh, vote to leave and you'll get your blue passport back, I believe. Yeah. was it, it was blue before.
2: Blue before. Yeah, like a navy blue. Yeah. Was yeah.
1: There, oh, I bet yours was green. That would have been nice It was too. green, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I honestly couldn't give two craps about it. and wouldn't I mean, it looks
2: nice. Like We have to say Irish branding, fairly consistent, pretty strong. Yeah. yeah.
1: Whereas blue is pretty common. Like France would probably go for blue, yeah. America, they're black. American passports are black actually I guess that's just to make them stand out
2: oh well the, you know like we don't have to have them burgundy like we can change the colour if we want to they don't need to leave the EU to change the colour of their passports really yeah really
1: I didn't know that yeah. <laughs> so that was like a, another totally moot point as um, part of the Brexiteers
2: yeah it's just, they're going through an odd moment over there Um. so yeah it's some strange things that appear small have taken on large significance did you hear
1: the anecdote about a married couple who both applied for their passports at the same time the same day, and they were issued them and received them on the same day. One was burgundy and one was blue. Really? And they were very annoyed. That, <laughs> was like, I want on my blue passport.
2: <laughs> yeah, it felt cheated.
1: Yeah. Um, to what extent then are passports just collector's cards to try and symbolise what nationality you are, as opposed to being the practical thing of trying to get through another nation's gateway?
2: I mean... I feel like an emotional connection, I suppose, to the passport document. You, I don't know why. You live in the that. Netherlands. Well, I'm always back and forth between Ireland and the Netherlands because yeah. I cover both Ireland and the Netherlands for Politico. So I write about both. And then obviously I make the podcast about Ireland and I'm around Ireland reporting all the time. But my partner, um, he li- he works in a university in the Netherlands. And so we're kind of like, I'm, I'm there a lot. If- yeah
1: will you like I don't know God knows where you'll end up in the world but if you yeah. did end up living in the Netherlands for decades would you consider getting a Dutch passport
2: um gosh I mean I wouldn't see any reason to at present like being an EU citizen like you have a lot of the rights anyway so I mean it's I also I don't identify as Dutch in any way so um yeah I, I mean that's not something I would currently consider you yeah you speak Dutch uh, in beetje yeah in beetje that means a little a little
1: yeah. Oh, yeah because as with most northern european countries you don't actually need to speak their language to live there
2: well um <laughs> particularly in the case of the netherlands yeah. because they have something it's over 90% of the people there can have a conversation in english and um i mean for all intents and purposes a lot of them are native english speakers uh, particularly the young people they i mean they it's not it's it's their own kind of english like it's it's dutch Dutch English and that has its own peculiarities that are peculiar to it but it's essentially like a dialect in its own right. Yeah.
1: You mentioned a friend of yours who has three passports. Yes. Why would someone want three passports?
2: Oh it just happens to people. I mean like it's not something that you deliberately that like they can wield. Acc- accumulate. Yeah. So okay it's it can happen easily so you've got like a parent two pa- two parents from two different countries and you're born in a third.
1: But then why would you apply for one of the, each passport?
2: Well um <laughs> You might need them for different reasons. So, for example, they come with different rights. So it depends on what kind of passports you have. But if you're not a citizen of somewhere and that's where one of your parents live or your family live... There can be lots of issues in terms of travelling there, in terms of inheritance, how you're treated, all kinds of things. So that might be one reason to have that one. And then say that's somewhere you're travelling back to, you live in another place, you might need the other one for practical reasons there because, you know, in order to vote or, you know, move about or what, whatever. And then you might have your third one. I don't know, just greedily, who knows? <laughs> yeah.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that's pretty much every country in the world. They used to be very strict about only having one citizenship, one passport. I think that has been completely ignored by everybody. Um there are some caveats, like um, if you're from Saudi Arabia, you can only take on another nationality if you get written permission from the prime minister, who also happens to be the sultan. Oh, So, um, wow. but those are kind of informalities. And I don't think they actually have an active unit within the Saudi Arabia, stripping people of their passports based on whether they become citizens. That's or my else. question.
2: Yeah. Like, how is this enforced and um, like policed I suppose like who are the ones who are being like you deviant you have both Italian and Irish you know whatever like who's doing that
1: Um, to be honest I don't think anyone really is because people are more concerned about um, protecting their own borders as opposed to necessarily stopping their citizens from annoying other countries so the only country I know that does actively keep an eye on it is the United States because if you are a citizen of the United States living and working abroad you are still obliged to pay US federal taxes on your income
2: oh my god those guys have it so rough like like that's one of the weirdest things about the US. Like they have, if you would believe their self-mythology, it's the super efficient, business friendly, you know, anti-red tape place. But it is the most bureaucratic place. I mean, nowhere, I don't know of any other country that requires people to file tax returns, onerous, physically paper tax returns <laughs> that you have to pay an, an accountant to help you with when you don't even live there. It's just nuts. It's absolutely nuts.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just because they never brought in something like the P U I system. And they're like, oh, well, let's just play tax claims and all that. I was like, we can do that, too. If oh, yeah. Want like, to. I mean,
2: it's literally just yeah. a protection thing for the accounting industry. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there, that's <laughs> it. And like, um, yeah, and it's. And if the richer you are, the less likely you are to actually have to pay these taxes as well. So it's really just a real squeeze on the people who can't afford to pay the best accountants to make sure they don't have to pay the taxes. So with that, I think Naomi, you're going to be very glad that we gave an FU to America rather than Britain. So that's a good way to close, I think. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, I need to kind of um, stay on brand. (laughs) Um, So I I have to give an FU to someone, you know, I have to attack some country, criticize them. As long as
1: they're a big, strong country. um, Yeah, they deserve it too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks it for having us. Really it, it was a pleasure. It was a shame that we didn't have Richie and Tim with us. Um, I presume I will have already explained at the start of this podcast why Richie wasn't there. And uh, Tim can't be here because he's based in Paris and it's, it's pretty tricky to make it over.
2: Yes. One day and perhaps the stars will all align they and will. the four of us can get together. And, and I think
1: we're going to have to call that one Brit bashing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks. Uh, you you were texting me questions last night when you were editing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's which a annoyed of me, Richie, because you're not meant to text me questions that make good audio. That's a good point, point.
0: and you did point. I was like, we will talk about this on tape. Yeah, uh, great interview, by the way. I'll say that first. I'm secondly, bowing.
1: Secondly, Ow, I hit my <laughs> head against the mic. Uh,
0: secondly, yeah, you mentioned that um, Be- Belgium. No, wasn't no. Technically... No, let's let's talk about the the more cogent one first. <laughs> oh, okay, Syria. Yeah. You mentioned that um Syria wasn't technically a country.
1: Yeah, because we were looking at that that ranking which I will, we will put in the show notes that ranking website which is really cool and actually I've mentioned this episode to a few friends who are like I know I love that website my nerdier mm. friends obviously of course. Um yeah, Syria's down the bottom and I, but it was ahead of a couple of other countries. It's just because and we do have a great guest lined up in the next couple of weeks to talk about Syria. I, it doesn't really count as a country. It is. It counts as a country in like, oh, well, there is a place called Syria and people who are Syrians, but it's definitely not a functioning state by any means anymore.
0: So, okay, so that, I guess it becomes then like the definition of what a country is because... I I was so surprised when I heard that. um, And I just did a quick Google and the likes of BBC and Guardian, like their vernacular is to still refer to it as a country. So I guess then is the definition of what a country is less about whether whether it is or isn't a a failed state uh, or whether it's like you say, a physical place with people who call themselves Syrians whatever like
1: yeah that, that that brings up things like is Catalonia a country is Scotland a country is Northern Ireland a country just because they're not nation states so
0: that is is it wrong to say Syria is not a country that it, yes. it is a failsafe. safe
1: yes it is so, definitely wrong to say Syria is not a country so I sh- yes I, I shouldn't have said that I should have said it's not even a properly functioning modern nation state with the cap- bureaucracy and capability to issue cogent passports it's not, that's, as pi- it's not as pithy not though, as is pithy it? <laughs> no it doesn't roll off the tongue as well and do we
0: want to talk about Belgium as well yeah that's not a country <laughs>
1: But that, not, that is a, it's not a same, country.
0: It's not a country. Why isn't it a country?
1: Because I hate it. What? It's not. It's, also,
0: it's a racism
1: thing. Yeah. No. Why, why isn't it Eskimos a country? in Belgium? They're my two. Everyone gets two passes on the racism chart. But at least <laughs> I, I don't use, think.
0: I don't think that's true. It's not also, true. Also, you're all. not supposed to call
1: them Eskimos. That's true. Inuits. But that's yes. yeah. But obviously, I've established that I'm racist. So yeah there we go okay to any to any Inuits out there I am totally joking about that to any Belgians out there I'm not joking I don't think your place is a country so why isn't that a country though (laughs) because it's Wallonia and Flem the Flemish region joined together and they like it was done as part of like into a a country though done as part of a let me finish my rant a post-Napoleonic war peace treaty and they like inserted a French king and made it a fucking state and it was like oh now this is a country called Belgium and you all have to accept that it's a country called Belgium but isn't that a country called Belgium it could not be next year or tomorrow if they suddenly decide to split okay they don't there's two different regions that don't even speak the same languages and quite often the two peoples don't learn the other peoples language because they don't like them enough it's like right. it's like a really passive aggressive version of northern ireland except they're way more different even than the protestants and catholics up there so that means it's not a country i mean it
0: has a lot to do with where i work <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I think maybe this calls for at some point in the future a What am Belgium episode. Mm, I, I'm not going to turn up for that one. <laughs> okay, okay. well, this will be the one that I do by myself with someone else.
1: It also, because it's just, it, it exists, like it's a monarchy that unites the place as well that really grinds my gears too.
0: I still don't fully understand what your problem is with, with it being a country, but I guess.
1: Because it's, it's fake. It's like, it, it degrades all the other ideas of nationhood. Why does that get to be a country but Catalonia and Scotland don't? I, do, I honestly don't know enough about the subject to mm. answer that. Look, it's just this is this is this is an international relations theory thing. Um, countries are basically only countries because you accept that they're countries because, like I've asked you loads of times before, go pick me, pick up a country and show it to me. Yeah, you can't. I, I still
0: can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying for well, two years. Well, they're big. Basically. In fairness, they are really yeah, that's big. True. So and I'm very strong, but I'm not that
1: strong. Yeah, but you're weak now after your I'm, bu- after your I'm bu- so, bu- so weak after your bum I'm incidents. I'm so weak
0: okay let's uh, I'm still not sold on it but I, again I also am very ignorant to it so but again that's this whole podcast in a nutshell I guess
1: yeah I'm not doing a very good job of explaining my point point. and mm. to be honest like ultimately I do do this with a pinch of salt obviously I have to recognize that Belgium is a country
0: yeah of course yeah you're, yeah, exactly, exactly. How, how about this um, if listeners with strong opinions on this want to write in and we, and we can get get a couple
1: more perspectives on this I think that'd be pretty interesting yeah if there's any Belgian nationalists out there that are really really pissed off about what I'm saying yeah tweet at us angrily um, call me all yeah, the names in, you want lay to, into Steve lay into Steve and I'll join in <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're gonna like you want to pick up these points so you can throw
0: them back at me. yeah I'm just basically in the back yeah what he said it's just because yeah. you really like those chocolate waffles they do oh man they're great they're mm. <laughs> very good they do desserts mm. very good over there mm. is that it? that's it Thanks for listening Thanks for listening guys Usual Affair If you want to review us That'd be lovely on, on Apple Pay I was going to say Apple Pay Apple Podcasts If you want to review us On Apple Pay By sending us money That would also be great But uh, I didn't know Apple Pay Was a thing Yeah Apple Pay Do you pay with apples? <laughs>
1: yeah it's a bartering system Okay Well if you send us some apples We'll send you a drunken episode
0: That would be great Yeah if you go to Whatandpolitics.com forward slash beer You can donate to us there Buy us a beer And in return We will send you Our drunken bonus episode and at on Politics on Instagram on Twitter and Gmail. Wallampolitics at gmail.com.
1: And I know like we started this podcast talking about how we've both been to Mexico within the last couple of months. But like, mm. you know, it's we're not that rich. We spent all our money on Mexico, so we need more money, guys. Send us money. I spent all my money on bum injections, so I'm very
0: broke. <laughs> Actually, and you know, extra flights home, so Yeah. yeah that was that was the non funny part of the story. I mean that, it was hilarious um, that you got deathly ill, but uh you, you are a good friend. <laughs> Yeah, why don't you say that with a locked jaw? Yeah, I okay. okay, See you, Richard. <laughs> Goodbye.
1: This has been a production of the HeadStuff Podcast Network.